On the second Sunday after Pentecost, our scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark. Very, fairly early on, Mark chapter 3, beginning with the 20th verse. Jesus and his new crew of disciples have been on the move, and things take a little bit of a strange turn in these verses. So let us listen now for a word from God, beginning with the 20th verse of Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When Jesus' family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down all the way from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and he began to speak to them in parables, saying, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up, and then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus said this because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call Jesus, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, Jesus asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said to them, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother, my brother, and my sister. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me once more in prayer? Good and gracious God, send your spirit now that it would take this strange text And somehow bridge it for the living of these oftentimes strange days. Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Where do you even begin with a passage like this one? Right? Do you start with that push and pull that's happening between Jesus' family members and those religious scribes? Scribes that Mark is keen to point out came all the way from Jerusalem. These aren't summer league scribes. These are the big hitters. 
right? These are the major leaguers that have been sent in to deal with this problem, Jesus, right? Here you have this push and pull between family and scholars, two groups of people who, of all people on the face of the earth, you think would be able to figure out who and what this Jesus is. But instead, they seem completely blind to what it is that is unfolding right in front of their very eyes. Or maybe we should start with that strange apocalyptic parable that's sandwiched right there in between that push and that pull. The one where Jesus compares himself to a thief who commits breaking and entry, ties up the homeowner, a strong man, and proceeds to plunder the entire house. Or maybe we should start with some of those eyebrow-raising phrases that tend to catch our attention in a passage like this one, a house divided. Anyone remember an inauguration speech right before a certain civil war many years ago? Or that language of an unforgivable sin or this talk of of an impure spirit being in Jesus. Where do you begin? i got to tell you, if the lectionary, which is the ecumenical schedule for scripture readings, there's a daily one and a weekly one that churches follow, if the lectionary had given us this passage a year ago, right when we were in the heart of the pandemic, right with an election right around the corner, right when there was unrest spilling out on our streets and in our souls. If this text had come a year ago, from a preaching standpoint, I think I would have bitten on one of those things. But this week, for whatever reason, this week all I seemed capable of focusing on was the posture of those disciples by the time you get to the end of this passage. Did you notice it? What are the disciples doing? Jesus reserves his highest praise in this story, something that isn't often reserved for the disciples in Mark's gospel. Jesus reserves it rather for these disciples who are doing nothing more than just sitting around. I don't know when you all maybe started feeling it. For me, it was this last Thursday. I went home and I told Aaron that the whole day felt kind of like when you're in a boat and you slow down all of a sudden and that wake that's been following you comes crashing into the back of the boat and rolls under the hull. Right, Thursday was the day for me when I felt that wake of fatigue just crash into me. I just felt tired. And not like busy day, busy week kind of tired, like last year and a half kind of tired. Anyone else been feeling that lately? As it happens, I think the disciples in this story, that is exactly what they are feeling. Right? We're only three chapters into Mark's gospel, but think about all the things that have already happened. 
Jesus has already outlasted and outsmarted Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. They've already gone around casting out demons, cooled a fever, healed a leper, restored a paralytic, or rather a withered hand, and helped a paralytic to walk. And on top of all of that, they've been going around visiting all these different villages, doing a preaching tour where thousands of people are pouring in every day. I think by the time we get to this verse, in the third chapter of Mark's gospel, the disciples are exhausted. I think the wake has already started to catch up to them. And their bodies are just tired. And all they want to do is sit. We can almost imagine their surprise then when Jesus points to them. All these scholars, all these family members, right? All these important people. And Jesus points to those people sitting in a circle around him and he says, these, here, this is my mother and my brothers. We can almost see them. Us? Jesus is essentially saying here, this, is what it looks like to do God's will. The Presbyterian tradition has always placed an emphasis on the response to God's grace. Sending ourselves out into the world to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. But what if the lesson here is that sometimes what Christian discipleship looks like is just taking a seat taking a breath, taking a rest. There's a story I always tell at some point in the Discover SSPC classes that we do. We usually do them two or three times a year, these three-week classes that are mainly geared towards those who are just finding our church or those who have recently joined or or those even who have been here for a long time and just kind of want a refresher on things. It's, it's an opportunity to come and just learn about what it means to be Presbyterian and in particular what it means to be a member of St. Simon's Presbyterian Church. And there's this story that I always tell that I remember hearing Nadia Bowles Weber, who's a Lutheran pastor out in Denver, Colorado, once tell. She spoke about in this sermon how Every time they receive new members in her church, she has since taken a new call, but the church that she served for many years and helped found was called the House for All Sinners and Saints. It's probably the best name for a church I've ever heard. The House for All Sinners and Saints. And every time they would receive new members, they would do this brunch after worship for those who have just joined. And they'd go around the room and, and each person would take a turn sharing about what it is they love about that church, why it is they chose to join. And Nadia would always go last. And she talked about how when it came to her turn, she would stand up and she would tell the room full of people, she'd say, listen, I love the fact that you love this place. I love the fact that you're here. But there's something you need to know right now, like today. You need to know as you begin this journey of being a disciple with these other people in our congregation that at some point, 
I'm going to disappoint you. At some point, this church that you so love, it's going to let you down. And so the reason I'm telling you this, she would say to them, is because this is the moment that you need to make a decision. You need to choose on this side of that lit down and that disappointment whether or not you're going to stick around. Are you going to stick with us when we disappoint you and when we let you down? Because here's the thing she'd say. If you leave when those things happen, and again, they're going to happen. If you leave when those things happen, then you're going to miss the way that God's grace always shows up to fill in the cracks of our brokenness. Isn't that beautiful? If you leave when when you get frustrated, you're going to miss the way that God's grace somehow, some way comes in behind you and fills the crack of that broken heart or that broken relationship. And it's too beautiful to miss, she'd tell them. It's too beautiful to miss. Don't miss it. Maybe this encounter happened so early in Mark's gospel. Because Jesus knows that it ain't going to get any easier from here on out. In fact, it's probably only going to get harder, right? Jesus can already see those disciples when they're going to have to push off from the shore of Galilee into a boat and head out onto the lake when there's storm clouds on the horizon. Jesus already already knows that that time is going to come when they're going to have to walk down one mount and into the hornet's nest of Jerusalem, while on the other side of town, on a different mount, there are crosses that are being erected. Jesus knows that it's not going to get any easier from here on out. And so he turns to them and he says, please, please decide on this side of things that you're going to stick with me. That you will keep sitting in that truth and in that trust. That God's kingdom, it's all around you, even, even when the going gets tough. Even when the world screams chaos. I don't know if you've been following the news, but there's lots of chaos. Even when the disappointments and the lit down, they come on thick. Even when your body aches with fatigue. Please decide now that you're going to stick with me. Because it's only by sticking with me that you will come to know the grace that always fills in the cracks that are left behind. You know, I can still see his face sort of right out in here. Church member who has since moved away to be closer to family, lost his spouse of decades. And I still remember the first Sunday after everything that happened, the week of the funeral, there he was sitting in that seat. And at the door that day after worship, I greeted him and he had tears in his eyes and he shook my hand and he said, I just had to show up. But there's something I still can't do. He said, me and my spouse, our thing in church was we sang the hymns together. And I'm just not ready to sing. 
week after week at the door. I showed up again. Still can't sing. Until that day came. When at the door with tears still welling in his eyes, he shook my hand and he said, I was here. And I sang. Sometimes if you just take a seat, if you just keep showing up, God's grace, it'll come and fill in the cracks that are left behind. Friends, it's too beautiful a thing to miss. Don't miss it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.